0: GG and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk a little cougar football and college football with Dylan Colley, and he joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Dylan, good morning.
1: Morning. Happy Tuesday. How are we doing?
0: Good. As a former wide receiver... Did you find the Troy game much more fulfilling than Navy? I mean, it, it's great to run over a team, but isn't it better to throw for have the starting quarterback throw for almost 400 yards?
1: Uh, 100%. I think as I, I as you watch games like that, that's when you start praying, right? Inside the 10-yard line that we can get some holding calls, maybe some <laughs> personal fouls. Back it create up a huh? little. Yeah, create a little more space.
2: With that in mind, Dylan, when you get in that situation, how difficult is it to move the ball because everything is so condensed?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, luckily I think in today's game, right, maybe 10, 15 years ago you had such a focus, right, on just, well, we're inside the five, let's go ahead and pound it. Um, But the game has kind of changed in the way that plays are called and plays are designed that there is a, you know, uh, offensive coordinators have created a ton of space, right? Instead of thinking, hey, we have the five-yard line, right? Uh, how are we going to get across the goal line? You're now looking at, okay, we have a full 15-yard because of the back of the end zone. Um, and there are a variety of defenses that are played down in the red zone, especially if you're playing against a, a, a heavy pass team. Um, and so there really is a lot of space down there. And, you know, I think uh, – we obviously pounded it down pretty dang good, but um, to see the pass game really open up was 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 a real good time.
0: So I probably know the answer to this. You probably come to this completely biased, but one thing to do when you get down there and there isn't much space is to run what offenses like to call rub routes, which are technically yeah. very complicated and hard to run, and what defenses call pick plays, which are just cheating.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There is, let me tell you, if there is one play where it was either, if it was going to be third and three, right, third and three, fourth and three and under, um, whether you're out in the middle of the field or at the goal line and you're under the five-yard line, right, the rub route is uh, hands down. I mean, I think I probably scored uh, three or four touchdowns uh, just on rub routes, right, and there is nothing better because you're so used to playing at hundred percent, right? How fast, you know, uh, as a top Warner player you're consistently told to just run faster, right? Whereas a rub route and, and these types of plays, you get just complete uh, patience and it's more of like a basketball play where you get to set up the pick and you can almost walk the route. And as long as you don't touch the defense, especially in college, Right, Because the rule is you just can't make contact. You can't be setting a pick. You have to act as if you're running through. Um, it's kind of an unstoppable play unless your defense is really keen to switching and their communication is good enough. Because if not, right, if you're trying to play man and you guys trying to get over the top and run underneath, then you're so prone to getting beat by a guy who just needs to get to the sidelines as quickly as possible. Right? And that's something that is uh, – uh, it, it's a hard play to defend no matter which way it's going. Um, and if you can just get a quarterback that can put the ball on a line right to the outside shoulder, you're in good shape.
2: Zach Wilson seems like he's coming in with his own in his third year, and they've been talking a lot of it is the knowledge, the skill, and also the health. What are you seeing from him right now? Uh I,
1: I think, to be completely honest with you, right I think my, uh, I get a lot of I get a lot of slack for uh, my comment after the, uh, after the the bowl game in 2018, right about what I believe Zach Wilson could be, which is one of the greatest BYU quarterbacks of all time. Yep. right So now that we're all seeing, you know, outside of the mental, we see a full health right. We see a kid who is uh, comfortable with his receivers. He has a phenomenal offensive line. I mean, when it comes to just flat-out arm talent, technique, being a quarterback, uh, I think a lot of people are now seeing that Zach Wilson really does have that capability of being one of the greatest of all time at BYU. Right now, how does he spend this next two years? What happens mentally? All of these things. Yes, there are those things that go into effect, but as you've seen, right, the way he carries himself, some of the balls that he – the touchdown that he threw to Isaac Rex, right, Um, you look at that as, oh, a nice little 8- to 10-yard touchdown, whereas he's rolling out to the left and can get the ball across his body and drop it in right behind the defense to get to Isaac to where only Isaac can get it. Uh, The dude has all the tangibles and all of the ability to be, you know, uh, the top-tier quarterback that he is. And I just hope everyone's starting to realize that.
0: Dylan Cauley joining us, former BYU wide receiver. So do you think Louisiana Tech is going to be the best of the three teams they've played? And if that is true, do you think BYU can still hang up half a hundred, as the old ball coach used to say?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And I think uh, I think it's going to be the toughest test for the defense, right, um, simply because of the the speed, right, the offense they run. You have a team that's going to open it up and, and throw the ball, right, 40, 50, 60 times. And so as long as the stamina from the defense is there, then there's no question that it's going to end up being, right, I, I truly believe it's the same situation that Navy and Troy were. I honestly thought that Troy – was, uh, was going to be a very close game, right? Um, but it just proved to me, watching that, that, you know, this BYU team is, is even a lot better than I thought. Um, and so as long as they can keep that, that, the defense, right, as long as the defense can keep the offense kind of stalled, um, you know, making the right hits on the receivers, because that's what's going to happen is they're going to end up throwing the ball as a matter of how fast can you get downhill, And how aggressive can you be on receivers? Because the more times you hit a receiver, the less times they want the ball, right? And so it'll be a very similar uh, situation to when BYU plays Hawaii, right? How are you going to play that type of offense that's going to throw the ball 50 to 60 times um, and make sure that you're maintaining pressure and keeping the stamina up? So offensively, I don't worry, right? Uh, Louisiana Tech's defense is very similar Two Troys, um, the receivers, the running backs, the offensive line. The offensive line is way too dominant, especially against these teams like Troy and Louisiana Tech, for there to be any sort of actual worry that Zach's going to have any pressure, right? So as long as those things all kind of line up, um, whatever the spread is, right, I'd take the spread for BYU again.
2: You bounced around a little bit in your career, college. You know, you start, go to BYU, go to Hawaii, and then come back. So you probably played for, I can't even remember how many coaches you played for, but you look at now BYU, particularly on offense, which has been really good the first two weeks. Uh, and you got experience offensive line and a quarterback, obviously, but you also have uh, the nucleus of the offensive staff there and has been there now for three years how important is that continuity with relation to, with the relationship between the players and the coaching staff
1: uh, i would say it's probably the largest part of their success right uh i just even being able to play for a coach for two years in a row right um uh, is brings a lot of comfort i think the most success that I had on any of the teams that I played on, right, was uh, our sophomore year at Hawaii, um, where we even just won seven games, right, and that was Rolovich's second year at Hawaii, right. But the comfort, the understanding of the offense, it's a game changer. So to know that all of these guys, you look at the core of the offense, they're not only right. It's not just the offensive staff that's been there for three years and have uh, gotten comfortable in this offense. This the offensive players have all been there um, since the beginning with these guys and they've grown with these guys. And so I think that's a huge part of the trust and and quite possibly the largest part of their success is just simply understanding the offense and going out there because the game becomes so much slower when you have that type of understanding. When the offense becomes second nature, you go out there and when you line up, it is – and you have the talent, it's kind of a cakewalk, right? Um, and so, you know, I think I think that's a, a big part of the success, and you'll continue to see that, right?
0: So where is the biggest payoff in that? Is it the fact that the, the systems don't change and the players get comfortable and they aren't thinking about every detail, they're just kind of reacting because they really know it? Is it... Uh, is it more that the uh, that they really get the confidence from the coaches, and they got that relationship? So in a tough situation, everybody believes they're going to make the big play that's going to get them through it. What where's the real payoff in uh, all of
1: that? Yeah, I, I think I think the first part, right, the, the actual mastery. If you think about uh, the ability to go out and do a job, when you guys get up, right, um, and you start your show at this point, right at this point, it's probably pretty easy to feed off one another and to be able to carry on a conversation for how long your show is. And so it is just that mastery and that continuity and doing things so many times, uh, that you do just kind of have this next level understanding and next level comfort. I think in terms of the high pressure situations, uh, last year we saw a lot of high pressure situations for, for BYU, and it was carried by a lot of the seniors, right? The Micah Simons and his ability to convert in the Tennessee game. Uh, Has this team been tested this year? No, they haven't. Do I think that there's going to come a point where they are tested? Absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see how they react. Uh, But, you know, it's hard to say, well, in big pressure pressure situations, this team being together for so long has been – you know, a nice little positive. But, you know, we we don't know that yet.
2: Yeah, that's a good point as far as what we've been doing, and you know, that's a good analogy, is that you can really see it. You know, we do have that level of comfort and football teams, I think it's an underrated portion of what goes on and you nailing it as far as the probably the number one reason for the success and it's something it's it's funny because we dissect everything so many different ways but that's one of the things that i don't think that gets enough credit and i think that as a former player you can see that so when you look at this coaching staff particularly on the offense what do you think is making it be as good as it is in terms of the results
1: uh if you look at who the top performers are on the offense, you look at the relationship that they have off of the field, right? Um, just coming to mind, right? You have Zach Katoa and Tyler Algier, who are extremely good friends, okay? They feed off of the energy for one another, and you've seen nothing but success, right? you see nothing but excitement and confidence in one another. It's not a matter of, hey, right, you're getting this many carries, I'm getting this many carries. These guys aren't going into Harvey saying, my 20 carries isn't enough. I need more than what Zach's getting, right? You don't have Gunner and Dax going at each other about who gets more balls, right? You don't have them – coming at Zach saying, hey, we need more, (laughs) right? I need more than Dax or Gunner saying, or Dax saying, I need more than Gunner. These guys' relationship, and then you have the offensive line who just loves each other and has since they got together and been pretty constant for the last three years. But all of these guys truly do care for one another, and they love to play the game together. And that's the type of, right? Uh, that's the type of mesh that you hope for on every single team. I think the clearest example was after that sluggo route uh, that Dax Millen ran and scored, right? You saw him literally running into the end zone with a fat smile on his face and then coming back and giving Zach crap about under-throwing him, right? Like, it doesn't matter what you have on a team as long as you have that unlike that no bars hold dedication to one another um, you you have a pretty good chance at being pretty dang good
0: so how much of this team uh, being really pretty good especially this offense is because the O-line has been dominating for two games whether it's pass protection for Wilson or the run blocking that we saw at Navy uh, they're just crushing these other teams
1: Uh, I'd probably say about 70 to 75% at least. Um, and I wish it's very easy to say you played against Navy and you played against Troy, right? Um, smaller front sevens, not as athletic. Um, I wish, you know, and and I don't know if it's going to be the same for Louisiana tech. I don't, I think it will be, but uh, when this team and this offensive line is really tested, you're going to be able to see how good this offensive line really is because we haven't seen the half of it. To see and know that Brady Christensen, James Empey, even you know Tristan Hodge out there and Chandler, like, ooh, we're looking at a few different uh, first-day draft picks. Right? James Empey and Brady Christensen, for sure. And then you look at the growth of the other guys, like that entire offensive line is an NFL type offensive line. And I think you can accredit that a lot to coach Grimes and his abilities and his understanding of the offensive line position. Um, And then the way that coach Mateos kind of supplements that, but I hope that everyone gets the chance to truly see how good this offensive line is in a real test of a front seven on the defensive side. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but I would give them at least 70 to 75% of the credit.
2: All right, Dylan, I want to go back in a couple of different ways. I want to go back right to your last uh, prior answer before DJ's question and you were talking about how the guys playing for each other and one player with its receiver or whatever it might be a running back's not going into the mm-hmm. coach and saying give me more than the other guy and all that. So you have that unison. Now I want to go back Oh, let's see. Was it, uh, I think it's about 13, 14 years ago. There's a guy that you know well who made what <laughs> was perceived as a controversial comment as far as the magic happens uh, spiel, and we all know that. And I was standing right yeah. there because Austin gave it to me, and that's the essence of what I think he was saying, and it got misinterpreted that God helps BYU and roots for the Mormons or what have you, when really he was saying that, before his mission there was all sorts of crap going on on the team and he experienced it right it was in the darkest times yep. uh byu and then he goes away i think he went to south america comes back yep. and that stuff was gone and Bronco had the ability to get everybody together, and I think that's the essence of what he was saying, not, well, God favors one over the other, but he was talking about his own individual ball club, that we need to be together. And I think that's what you're saying now. Correct me if I'm wrong or add to it.
1: No, uh, 100%. You're absolutely spot on. And I think you're seeing a very, very similar... Uh, environment um, as to now I can I sit here and say and Austin was probably <laughs> you know uh, uh, agreeably so is this team does this team have all of the talent that that team had right no absolutely not that team was unbelievable um, and the amount of money made in the NFL from that team right proves that and so Um, but in terms of the dynamic, in terms of the friendship, in terms of that cohesion of, we can only control what's inside this locker room. And that includes being the best version of ourselves, right? Now, whether that's taking place or not, I genuinely do believe that these guys care more about what's going on outside, right, to one another and the genuine cares of life. Um, and, And that's just, you know uh, that just brings the greater sense of team and effort that you're willing to put in for one another on the football field right so you're you're 100% spot on i don't think that there is you know uh, obviously you you look at the team, the way that people take things uh, i could only imagine if austin said that in 2020 right <laughs> he took a lot of flack 12 years ago but could you imagine if he said something like that today I think he would have been uh, uh, putting in even a worse position.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah.
0: So the only thing I want to jump at, well, that's not true, but we're out of time. The one thing I really want to jump at here is you say that team had unbelievable talent and those guys made a ton of money in the NFL but this offensive line let's say it's best case scenario and you know they got eight starters back that's not deniable and the NFL's looking <laughs> at four guys let's say four of these guys have long NFL careers you know if you have four NFL offensive linemen you can probably run the ball every week in college football and you can probably keep your quarterback clean and give him a pocket to throw out of 30 35 40 times a game if yep. everybody else is a decent college football player, man, not not NFL, but a good college football player, they're going to thrive behind with that kind of offensive line on the field with them. They're going to thrive.
1: Oh, one hundred percent, like no doubt about it. You can be very, uh, you can be very, you can be a very decent football player, right? If you have the offensive line that they have right now, it's you're next to unstoppable, and and. Just to go on, right, and I know we're out of time, but you can even think about this for the next week. Okay, You look at the offensive line and then the kicking game for BYU right now, the fact that they have a field goal kicker in Jake Gilroy that can hit a 54-yard field goal, uh, that's another thing that not a lot of people get is how truly valuable having someone like that on your football team uh, is. It's, a, it's an absolute game-changer between the offensive line and the special teams and the effectiveness of the special teams. You're pretty much in a place to where it's it's hard to lose or it's hard to not be in every single game with a chance to win going into the fourth quarter.
0: All right, we'll leave it there. There's plenty more to talk about, Dylan, but will do it next week after we see the Louisiana Tech game, and I assume you're picking BYU to win that game. There you go. Dylan, we'll talk to you next week. (laughs) Yep, have a good one, folks. Dylan Colling, former BYU wide receiver, joined us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Steve Klauke, the play-by-play voice of the Salt Lake Bees, has not gotten to talk a lot of baseball this year. But he's going to talk playoffs for American League games today. The National League starts tomorrow. We'll talk with Steve Klauke, get his picks next.
2: Now let's get this party
3: started. This is Hans Olson and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Athletic Director at Utah State, John Hartwell. Hey, let's play ball, man. Let's go. <laughs>
1: oh, I love pumped. it. How great was that when you were able to break the news to your athletes that they were going to play? It was
0: unbelievable. I mean, just knowing that we've got a plan put together for it, Gary and his staff and, and our student-athletes. We're really excited. Obviously, we've got some work over the next four weeks to get ready. And then there will be some challenges throughout the season, I'm sure. But just the anticipation and the excitement of trying
3: to get back to something that's somewhat normal, I think, has everybody excited. Hanson Scouting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and of The Zone. We're joined now by Steve Klauke, the play-by-play voice of the Salt Lake Bees. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Steve, good morning. Morning, guys. How you doing? Good. So with the baseball playoffs getting underway here with these uh, wild card series and 16 teams in, I'm I'm wondering if the traditionalist in you hates this or if Steve Klauke, visionary, says, hey, there were too many teams tanking. They didn't think they could win their division or, or get that, grab one of those wild cards. And it just is a bad look to have a third of the major leagues just chopping their roster up, lowering their payroll, and really not competing. So I like this new formula, even though a couple teams are in with losing records. Well,
4: I guess my first thought is, well, what's the difference between that and all the other leagues in professional sports, right? I mean, you're, you have so many teams in the NBA playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs. This year expanded to 22 teams. So, it, you know, I guess it's because of the situation. I'll be curious to see if they expand it next year when we go to a regular season. But, uh, you know, for the time being, it's kind of fun. And the fact that the, there's eight games on television tomorrow, that uh, certainly is enough to wet your whistle.
2: And my whistle is freaking going to be wet. <laughs>
4: uh, that's almost a battle whistle is mine. but uh, now I was actually Uh-oh. hoping that the Dallas Stars would win last night so that on Wednesday we could have eight baseball playoff games, game one of the NBA Finals, and a game seven in the Stanley Cup. It would have been great.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. No question about it. As I look at this postseason, I don't see that, you know, there's more teams, so it's different and format's different. I get that. But the formula to win, to me, in the postseason has always been pitching and timely hitting. And obviously you have to have defense too, but I put that under pitching. So I don't see where it changes. And as I look at it with that in mind, I have to go the favorites, no big surprise, with their pitching and their timely hitting, would be uh, the Rays and the Dodgers. I, I could
4: see that, but I, I really think, to me, everything is up in the air with the best two out of three to open I mean, All it takes is a you know a couple of bad outings uh, by your top two pitchers, and you're out, even if you might be the be the favorite. So I, I I look at this lineup of of matchups in this first round, and I don't see any guarantees anywhere. I think anybody can win two games in three days. So uh, it'll be interesting to see after this first round who's left. I mean, you could have nothing but five at, five through eight seats after the first round. You just never no, know in a two out of three. No way.
2: I'm, oh, yes, guaranteeing no way. Yes, the Cubs, I'm guaranteeing the Cubs beat the Marlins.
4: I don't know. It depends on who's sitting in the front row down by the left field bullpen.
2: Oh, I see what you did and there. And remember,
4: the Marlins have never, ever lost a postseason series. Every year that they've made it to the playoffs, twice, they've won the World Series.
0: <laughs> By the way, as a Padre fan, that just disgusts me. But let's move on to something else. <laughs> don't even keep their teams together when they win. It's that's such very a, true. Such a <laughs> weird franchise and such a weird history. Plus, there's some jealousy. I'm not going it, no, to.
4: That. It's okay to be jealous in that situation. It's been a it's been a remarkable situation where they, like you say, they they win and dismantle, win dismantle, but this last dismantling we're 15 years in, and now Derek Jeter trying to put things together.
0: So when we look for storylines in the postseason, uh, you know there are several, and you, and you can pick one, but I i got to admit, I think the A's, you know, and, and people saw the Moneyball movie and, and know that the A's have really got this. They're in a terrible ballpark without much of a fan base. They're not going to attract free agents. They're not going to spend money, and yet they get into the postseason a lot, but they don't go to the World Series, and they certainly don't win it. Could that change this year? Is this team going to be any different than previous A's teams we've seen?
4: In the first round, they'll be the most comfortable team because they're used to not having anybody in their ballpark.
3: But if a bang,
4: yes. <laughs> and I guess you could say the same uh, with Tampa Bay. But no, Oakland, I think, it is set up for a, for a good run. But again, somewhere along the line, they tend to stumble. And quite frankly, being a homer, I hope they stumble in the first round because they're playing the White Sox.
0: Yeah, there it is.
4: No, but yes, there are, are. some you know, great storylines. Like I said, the Marlins having never lost a, a, a postseason series. Cleveland going in without their manager, uh, Terry Francona, Sandy Alomar Jr. Is, uh, taking over for the rest of the year. You've got a Toronto team that played uh, their home games uh, in a A ballpark in Buffalo. And, uh, and you have two teams in the postseason for the first time in baseball that had sub-500 records.
2: MVPs. I'm going with Freddie Freeman and either, either Timmy Anderson or Abreu of your White Sox. Who do you got?
4: Oh, boy, that's a tough one. I I, I like your National League choice. Between those two White Sox players, I'm going to have to go with – uh, Tim Anderson, he's the table setter at the top of the lineup, outstanding defensive player uh, on the infield. And uh, he, he's kind of, uh, along with Abreu, uh, a veteran leader on a very young ball club that uh, a lot of people thought might be a very good team at some point, but maybe a couple of years away. So I, I would go with uh, Anderson.
0: Who are your Cy Young Award
2: winners?
4: Oh, boy. Um, I think Bieber in the American League.
2: Well, that's a no-brainer.
4: Yeah, I I, I would say so. And, uh, boy, the National League. Uh,
2: Trevor Bauer,
4: Trevor come on. Bauer, He's yeah. a no-brainer. Trevor Bauer, Bauer the future <laughs> angel, uh, I think will be, oh. be the be the guy for the, for the, who's got the Cincinnati Reds in the postseason today against Atlanta, or tomorrow against Atlanta.
2: Trevor Bauer, yeah. Future angel for about a year and a half, and then he'll rub everybody wrong and go to his, what, fifth team. <laughs> Well, I guess they have to
4: hire their GM first, although all signs point to a, a guy who's always had success in rebuilding franchises, and that's uh, Dave Dombrowski.
0: So you're buying the Angels then?
4: Ooh. No, I can't afford them. <laughs> <laughs> I yes, that Steve Klauke. <laughs> But, uh, no, no, it's I, just
0: been a long dry spell, and exactly. and and Trout's so good, and put him on a stage in the playoffs. And is that all going to happen?
3: Yeah, he's
4: only had one playoff series in his career, and you know five straight years as uh, under Billy Epler as general manager, uh, and having sub five hundred seasons. They needed to make a change. I see Joe Madden staying on as manager, but. Dombrowski's first job, or whoever gets the job, will be to shore up uh, the pitching staff. They've gone out, they've spent some money on position players, they got a great signing in Anthony Rendon from Washington, who had a solid year. Uh, The starting pitching was good, not great, not even very good, but good this year for the Angels, but the bullpen was horrible, and that really cost them. Their slow start cost them, because they had one of the best records over the last 15 games.
2: Yeah, they did. Uh, When I look at Houston, I have to admit the trash cans, they made a huge difference. I didn't think it would make that much of a difference, but I saw uh, several places listing batting averages, trash cans, and then batting averages post-trash cans. And the drop-off, particularly Altuve and Bregman, was uh, just precipitous, and I don't even know what precipitous means, but it sounds big, and that is something that really, really surprised me. Do you think that uh, there's more to it, or was it just a fact they didn't know what was coming and they're really not that good?
4: I, I think I think they'll have a, a, a bounce back year next year, but I, I do think that it did help what happened in the past. matter of fact, the, uh, I had I heard from a couple of our guys since that whole thing came down that, uh, they think the same thing happened when Houston won the PCL championship at Fresno. That there was some uh, some drum banging, garbage can banging going on there.
0: Wow, the fish is rotten from the head to the tail. <laughs>
4: well, why
2: not, man? If it
4: works, yeah, you, 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 yeah. Once it works, you you gotta get get the. You, the whole part of minor league baseball is development. They got to
2: know
4: knowing what the signals are and all that.
2: Right, exactly.
4: I also think it's interesting on this uh, on this postseason the fact that uh, uh, after being uh, the, the first round series being played at ballparks uh, the home ballparks for the higher seed that uh, after that they're going to a a, a bubble format with uh, National League games being played in Houston and Texas to American League parks and the ne- American League playoffs going to National League parks in San Diego and Dodger Stadium.
0: That has been flirted with on and off for like 40 years. The World Series should go to a warm weather site. They should eliminate the days off. That's not going to happen, though. What, no, tra- what transitions are, what stuff that they've tried out this year is going to stick long term? I mean, obviously you got the DH, the expanded playoff, uh, think- the runner at second base in the 10th inning.
4: I think that the, the DH uh, is eventually going to be in both leagues. Um, I kind of like although I don't think it'll happen, uh I like the seven inning games for doubleheaders uh just to save uh, pitching staffs, but uh I I have always disliked it since they put it in minor league baseball, the runner at second rule. Thankfully, it's uh, not going to be used in the playoffs it's a regular inning uh, in the starting in the 10th inning uh, this time around much like in in hockey where they play 3 on 3 in a 5 minute overtime in the regular season but in the Stanley Cup playoffs it's a full 5 on 5 and uh, and, and that kind of stuff no it's no shootout or anything so uh, I, I i definitely have never liked that uh, that rule it, it just reminds me of, of 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 softball i guess and it just it has no part in baseball. I can see it in the minor leagues even though I don't like it just to save the pitcher's arms uh, since they have ridiculously uh, low pitch count limits and you know, usually by the 13th or 12th or 13th inning in, in our games uh, you would see position players pitch and nobody wants to see that.
2: So how much pressure do you think is going to be on Kershaw and the Dodgers in general?
4: There always is because they've had so much failure over the last uh, few years and so I think that uh, you know, I—I I, I mean, this is a, a telling sign right now that he's not even starting game one. It's Walker Bueller getting the start. So I think uh, the Dodgers are under immense pressure to uh, to succeed, and they've got a tough first round matchup with Milwaukee. I think they have the most pressure of any of the sixteen teams in the postseason. Yeah,
0: by a wide margin, don't they? Yes. You know, the Yankees have a have a pretty good record, but they've had these stretches where. And I guess it's just when you're depending on home runs. You know, they, they bash home runs and they look great and they go on these big win streaks. And then they hit a five game losing streak, a seven game losing streak, and nobody can hit and they can't get a homer. And, and then all of a sudden it clicks back in again. Is that going to sink them in the playoffs?
4: I think so. I mean, they've always, uh, uh, you know, they're built for the regular season, it seems like. And they have trouble in the playoffs. Pitching wise, they're, they're not great after Garrett Cole. Uh, so I think the Yankees, uh, uh, I, I don't see them making a, a very deep run at all. Of course, that, that's also, I guess I could say that about uh, uh, my White Sox. They're a team that relies on the home run considerably, so I don't expect them to go very deep. They, they're not capable, as you have to be able to in the, in the postseason, uh, to string together you know, three singles to get a run.
2: I'm going for as far as a team that had a great, uh, pretty good record. Maybe not great, but certainly good enough. And maybe it would have been great if they played more to get upset. To get upset in the first round is Atlanta because outside of one starter, I don't really like their pitching. And Melanson seems like he's bounced around as a closer, and and it has nothing to do with the fact that he went to the U of A. But I don't like him either. <laughs>
4: Well, yeah, it, and, and if you know, if Trevor Bauer has a good game in here in Game One, boom, they're down one nothing, and how can that right. young team uh, handle themselves? Uh, I'm curious about Minnesota. Here's a team that comes in. What they've lost 16 consecutive postseason games, or something like that, and it's uh, a lot of people rooting for them to knock off Houston.
0: So, uh, did you like the Padres before they had uh, two pitchers who were supposed to, you know, basically probably go games one and two? Uh, now they got they got health problems.
4: I, I I do like San Diego. I think they're they're a team that they're first of all they're fun to watch. A lot of people say just strictly based on fun, a White Sox Padres World Series would be fantastic. Uh, yeah, they have some injuries, but I think the expectations aren't there, so I think they can stay loose and still. Uh, uh, perform here in the postseason. How deep they go, I don't know, but I like their chances against St. Louis.
2: Are we expecting a return to minor league ball, at least here in the PCL, in the same way that it was last season?
4: Well, the agreement, the uh, current agreement ends tomorrow. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of speculation as to what uh, minor league baseball will look like next year. It's definitely going to look different with Major League Baseball uh, probably taking over uh, I can tell you that there'll definitely will be uh, you know triple a baseball uh, in Salt Lake the question is will there be a pacific coast league or they're going to just change the names and go east west central who knows or which which teams are going to get uh, uh, eliminated which teams are going to get moved out of triple a down to double a or even in one case possibly single a It's going to be very interesting to see how it uh, is laid out as far as next year is concerned. Uh, I mean, I've seen everything from, uh, you know, everything staying the same to... the uh, uh, like Sacramento and Fresno leaving AAA and going to a new Western-based AA League. So a lot of speculation out there, but something, nothing concrete. But you know that uh, something's got to be up when the pre- longtime president of minor league baseball announces his retirement, which tells me that that's just the first step in the fact that there won't be a minor league baseball office starting next year.
0: So, Steve, how many different scenarios are there for the bees?
4: I only see one I, I really only see one i don 't see them being uh, a team that would be relegated to a, a lower level. The question is uh, who will they be lumped together with and a lot of most of the speculation does have Fresno being relocated to uh, the California League and being a, an a ball team, so somebody 's got to fill that spot and there 's some rumors about different independent league teams becoming uh, uh, full-fledged minor league teams. Of course, Major League Baseball just signed a deal with three different independent leagues with a working agreement. They've taken the Appalachian League and uh, turned that into a, uh, a college wood bat league now, so uh, a lot of speculation. But I think as far as the, the bees are concerned, uh, w- whatever they call it will be Triple A. but what league they'll be in and who they'll be lumped with, I have no idea. It's really uh, up in the air at this point.
2: So, Steve, right now in the West, Real Salt Lake is tied for seventh, but they're only two points out of being tied for third. How do you like it uh, in the stretch run?
4: You got a lot. Of, well, after after a three month long homestand, I would it'll be interesting to see how they re- react on the road.
0: <laughs> that was remarkably, <laughs> remarkably straight answer out of you, Steve. <laughs> I mean, a little sarcasm with the three-month homestand, but it was four games in a row, so I get your point.
4: It seemed longer than that. Yeah, Every time I looked out my back porch, I could see those lights on.
0: <laughs> the lights are on, but nobody's home. Go ahead and say it, Steve. You know you want to.
2: You know you want to. But, but you've been impressed with Crylock, right? I mean, he's really provided the offensive punch that they need, right?
4: Offensive punch? There's been offensive punch? <laughs> I see a lot of zeros. That's
0: we had fun. a Steve We had a Steve Klaucke Memorial that's, Game. That's up in nils,
2: not zeros. Yeah, that's buddy, nils. nils.
0: We had a, We had a Steve Klaucke <laughs> Memorial Game, even though you're not dead yet, Steve. Thank up you. In, up in Portland, it was four to four. There were eight goals in ninety minutes.
4: Uh, and oh yeah, just for you. And they play on artificial turf there too. Okay. They
0: do good local knowledge. Of course, it's former uh, AAA baseball stadium, so of course you know <laughs> And that.
4: And now, the, thanks to the Timbers, the former. Uh, home of uh, Portland State football. They forced them out, and now Portland State has to play in a uh, high school stadium in Hillsboro.
0: You looking forward to uh, spring football with Weber State?
4: It's going to be very interesting to to see. Uh, I think we're two weeks away from uh, getting the schedule, although somebody at Southern Utah has leaked out like a February 13th uh, opening game, which I think is a little bit early. I think February 20th or 27th is more likely. It's going to be interesting with the fact that uh, with you know, football overlapping with basketball, and hopefully for me, uh, uh, football then overlapping with baseball. It's going to be uh, quite the working schedule, but it's going to be different. I'm I'm still surprised that they're going to go ahead and go with it just from the standpoint. It's an awful lot to ask of the kids to, to play a, a, an eight-game-plus playoff football schedule and then turn around and uh, have to play again in the fall. But, you know, the playoffs are going to be interesting to reach because uh, they've added the MEAC to the automatic bids, so there's 11 automatic bids. And this year with only 16 teams going to the postseason, obviously that means five wild cards. So it's going to be very interesting. And I know they're talking about in the big sky trying to play in domes and warm-weather cities the first couple of weeks uh, to get the season going and, uh, in decent weather conditions. And there's, what, three, three domes and maybe three good-weather cities.
2: With this current situation, how you've been able to handle not being able to go to concerts?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, well, let's put it this way: when it comes to not having anything to do, uh, my yard looks as good as it's ever looked.
2: But how about concerts, man? You've been able. You, I mean,
4: I, I can turn on the radio.
2: How, how long has it been since you've seen Cher?
4: Well, first of all, the last concert I went to was Elton John.
2: Man, you are a rocker. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Steve Clocky was young. I don't remember uh, it. <laughs> I don't
4: remember it anymore. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: uh, those are lyrics.
2: Never mind.
4: All right,
0: all right, Steve. We appreciate a little bit of time. Uh, who's the World Series pick then?
4: Uh, I'm going to wait till after the first round because oh. everybody can be out. But if I, if you, if you, if you force me into it, I'm going to go with uh, a World Series of I'm going to go San Diego-Tampa Bay.
0: Wow. Did not see that coming. (laughs) But I hope you're right.
4: Well, usually I'm not, so good luck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the Padres have only been in the playoffs five times, and the two times they didn't draw the Cardinals, they went to the World Series, and the three times they did draw the Cardinals, they got knocked out immediately. Swept twice. No. Uh,
4: this isn't your grandfather's Cardinals. They're not, yeah, not that good. Yeah, that's true.
0: That's true. All right, hey, we appreciate it, Steve. Thank you. Thanks, guys. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
3: Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show.
0: Join the big show Friday from 2 to 7 at the Warehouse, 86 East University Parkway in Orem. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! BK, we got some college football to get to in just a second question of the day. All about uh, BYU and their schedule and our conversation with Tom Homo. But uh, off the Monday night football game, as the Chiefs uh, beat another team that was in the AFC playoffs last year and improved to 3-0. Who's the biggest threat to the Chiefs in the AFC? Bills, Steelers, Titans, somebody else? Who could derail the Chiefs? Who do you believe in the most?
2: Well, let me see here. You know what's happening to the Titans right now, right? What is
0: happening to the Titans right now? They're kicking a field goal?
3: Them and the Vikings, actually.
2: Uh, the COVID outbreak? facilities until Saturday. Three players and five staff members tested positive. The Vikings have closed their facility also. What are we, uh, we're done with three weeks, right? Yep,
0: three down, 13 to go. Correct, yeah. Well, 14 with the bye 14
2: weeks. with the bye, yeah, I gotcha. Uh, yeah, I'm actually surprised this hasn't happened before. So, uh, until now, I guess, basically. So, we'll see what that means as far as uh, games go. Uh, but you're talking about just the AFC?
0: Yes, I just left over the AFC. I, I put up the three other undefeated teams, the Bills, the Steelers, and the Titans, and then other for anyone. I mean, you don't have to be 3-0 and to be a really good team. You might have started 2-1 and one and get it together. So, I don't know, maybe like You didn't put Raiders. the Bills
2: in there, though, did I you? I did,
0: yeah. Bills. Oh, you did. Bills, Steelers, Titans, Chiefs are the four undefeated teams. Every Every AFC division has one. Bills, Steelers, Titans, or other, you know, under so the theory that you like the Patriots, you like the Raiders, you like the, you know, whoever else. Whoa,
2: whoa, whoa. you didn't even mention the Ravens, huh?
0: Well, because they just beat them last night, but I know they're so part of been- other, they're part of other.
2: Yeah, I mean, they, they basically the schedule has, has put the Ravens out or lowered them in your mind, because these other teams haven't played the Chiefs, uh, obviously, in yep. the three games. Uh, that's the great thing about football is that you're not really sure. You know, it's a one-and-done format, obviously. And the NFL playoffs are so epic in, in that way. And things happen in the course of a game. And you look at the, the, the Chiefs, you know, we're anointing them for a good reason. But, you know, maybe we're also forgetting that they were behind in their playoffs and they need dramatic, at least in terms of one, comebacks. But in the other games, too. I think even in the Super Bowl, right? So... Uh, things broke their way, or did they break their way? Or
0: they made did, them break their yeah, way. Yeah, right. I
2: mean, uh, even as I'm saying it, I'm wondering is nah, that's not even really the right thing to say? Am I sure about that? Well, I, no, I'm not.
0: I think I sign off number one on everything's wide open, if for no other reason than we have seen injuries dramatically change teams' fortunes, right? You can, you can be gutted by injuries at any time, it can happen to any team, Chiefs included. So you got to throw out there number one, it's wide open because the NFL and it's so physical. Uh, now, number 2, the Chiefs have been—they <laughs> were in the AFC title game with Mahomes. I mean, they, they had Alex Smith. They had a playoff-caliber team and a playoff-caliber quarterback. And they jettisoned for Mahomes. You're thinking, well, oh, that's quite the roll of the dice from Andy Reid, but he's been doing this a long time. He's had a bunch of good teams, so let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And sure enough, Mahomes comes out, immediately passes the eyeball test, takes him to the AFC title game, and lose to Brady and the Patriots in overtime. Then they come back and win it all— and now they're 3-0. and So it's hard not to be on the Chiefs' bandwagon because we've got basically two and part of a season here that says, yeah, they're really that good. And I think the team I would go to, the Bills are on the way up, and we probably haven't seen enough of them, especially on this side of the country where they're not on TV a lot, they're not on primetime. You basically, you see them two or three times a year unless you've got the, the NFL ticket and you're seeing everything, right? Um, Which I have. Right. The Steelers... I think we forget, you know, they had a, they were gutted by injuries a year ago. Connor's a really good running back. Roethlisberger has got tons of playoff experience. They typically have a really stout defense. They're built to play in cold weather, whether they're in Pittsburgh or Kansas City for a playoff game. Either way, it's cold, and the Steelers are built for that. So I, I would go Steelers right now, acknowledging, obviously, it's wide open.
2: Well, for me, I always wait until the fifth week. I always want to see four games before I make any uh, generalizations. But the Chiefs, obviously, being the defender well, the Super Bowl winner, plus being 3-0, and I don't need four games, but I want to see. But, hey, you know, this could be the year of Buffalo with the Bills and the Blue Jays. This could be their <laughs> this year. This could
0: be it. Buffalo, the city of champions. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, DJ and PK, the, qu- the wagons. <laughs> the question of the day, all about BYU football, the schedule. Tom Holman's thoughts on uh, rebuilding the schedule and how to handle November and December. There's, uh, there's space for six potential games. Only one is set, although a second one is pretty much set. We'll get to all of that next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.